0: Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, Deputy Conservative Leader Candace Bergen joins us to talk about the government's economic statement and what it means for Canadians moving forward. The Director of Housing for the City of Hamilton joins us to talk about the defund the police protesters that were at City Hall prior to their encampment being removed. They ended up On the front lawn at the mayor's house and we heard last week that we will be behind the rest of the world when it comes to getting our COVID 19 vaccinations has that message changed over the weekend and are we any closer to getting a shot in the arm it's all coming up on the scott thompson show podcast today on the scott thompson show on 900 chml
1: hi this is alicia thompson scott's daughter Kirk got so excited with the snow, he forgot to do this intro. My dad said this will be fun for me and a good distraction. Yippee! It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson.
0: And with that, Scott. Thank you. See you later. Have fun. Enjoy the rest of your day. Don't worry about closing that door on the way out. All right, good afternoon. It is 1210. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine, I got to adjust the mic now. She's got to have the mic uh, just adjusted for her own height here. Man. The rider, the clause this woman has in her contract just to get her to do an intro is unbelievable. All right. Uh, thanking her for that. Kurt, uh, so excited with a snow bolted out of here today. Forgot to record it. Uh, no snow day for him. He's all in. Uh, again, twelve eleven nine hundred 900 I'm Scott Thompson. It is the Scott Thompson Home Show. Willers, come back at the station. Keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air during a snow day. Yeah, week number 38. Feel free to jump into the conversation. You can find the podcast, the uh, podcast of the commentary waiting for you on Facebook and Twitter. Phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. As well, don't forget, you can send us a note via the website. I'm sorry, lots of things going on here. Send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com, and uh, you know what to do. All right, all kinds of things to talk about, including uh, some situations regarding the mayor, and his home. We'll get into that as well. But first, uh, yesterday afternoon, the uh, Government of Canada gave its uh, economic statement, an outlook of kind of where we are, what's going on, and what we can expect uh, in the future. Finance Minister Chrystia Freeland unveiled this long-awaited fall economic statement, uh, giving us some strategy or coping uh, with the ongoing pandemic and and what this means moving forward. To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Candice Bergen, Deputy Conservative Leader, MP. Uh, from Manitoba and is with us now, Candice. Thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well.
1: Hi, Scott. Doing doing very well. A great intro. That was uh, that was really really a great intro
0: well i'll pass that that. along to her yeah it's you know we pretty much hear from the home show we're bringing everybody into the into the fold here including the dog who you may hear uh, at any given time during this uh candace again thanks for joining us just your thoughts on before we get to the economic statement and such about where we are with this vaccine uh again we're being reassured by the prime minister this is not an issue uh yet we're still not getting any sort of firm dates as to when this is going to happen your thoughts on where we are with the vaccine as of tuesday
1: well, we've been asking so many questions of the government about the vaccine because uh, I think for all Canadians, we're, we're waiting for this. This is some some glimmer of hope if this vaccine uh, gets delivered, we can maybe get back to some kind of normal life. We're not getting those answers. So we, we not only do we not actually know when Canada will get the vaccines, but when when will Canadians be able to get those vaccines? Who's going to get them first? Uh, how will they be stored? Uh, there's just there's so many questions. And the only thing that, that we've been told is while other countries like the UK and the US will be getting them uh, as soon as the end of December or mid-December, we may not be seeing them until next fall. So a lot of questions. And truthfully, uh, Scott, this is what we were looking for in the economic fall update. There are some really important jobs that the federal government has. In fighting a pandemic, and things like vaccines and rapid testing, frankly, are approving them and getting them out. That is the job of the federal government, and they've uh, they've failed miserably. So we're 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 pretty concerned about what we're seeing uh, coming out of the government when it comes to things like vaccines and rapid testing.
0: We certainly have heard, uh, uh, you know, uh, that obviously the prime minister mentioned this last week when asked, uh, why the U.S. were in in Europe and and the rest were getting their vaccinations, uh, by Christmas time, whereas we're not starting till later. He's, he he said obviously we don't make them anymore and those people are obviously going to be in line first. Now the, the sort of, Uh, The narrative has shifted, and we certainly don't hear anything more about dates, but we're hearing about uh, how much we've accumulated or how much we will have by the finish line of all of this, and also talking about approval. And, and and making it sound as if well the reason that we're taking so long here is because we're waiting for the appropriate approvals. Now from everything I've read, uh, the approval process is going on in stages, which is new because of the pandemic. But we're pretty much getting the same information at the same time as what the FDA is. And Health Canada has said it will all it will approve this drug at roughly the same time that the FDA does. So it's not an approval issue. It's a it's a distribution and production issue, is it not?
1: Procurement, absolutely, and and the problem is the the liberals put all of their eggs in one basket, the Chinese basket, uh, and then realized in August that was not going to work, and so they're they're playing catch up, and uh, I, you know it, it, it really begs the question is who's actually in charge? Is, is the prime minister? I know he has said uh, even as, as early as a few weeks ago, well, it's not it's not my job to uh, approve rapid testing. Well, no, sir, but it is your job as prime minister to ensure that rapid testing gets approved and, and that you work with, with our allies. And, and to your point, Scott, when our allies and our, our, our closest friends are approving and, and getting things like rapid testing and the vaccines, the Prime Minister can't use that excuse for his incompetence. And at the end of the day, it's Canadians who are paying the price. I mean, I'm, I'm from Manitoba. We have, again, locked down businesses. Families are being told they're not going to get together for Christmas. Uh, businesses are going bankrupt. People are are just... They're they're at their wit's end and I think Canadians are more than willing to sacrifice and they want to be safe and we, we want to fight COVID. But the federal government should do its job and, and they're not doing it and Canadians are being left behind and really paying the price for it.
0: That being said, over the weekend, we heard information uh, also from uh, the head of drug, a drug company that said that, you know, that Canada is, that we're not at the end of the line, that uh, we will get ours in a timely fashion and such. Is that reassuring in any way?
1: Well, I, I don't know that Canadians are going to be too reassured when they're uh, seeing the United States and the UK getting vaccines in the next uh, four weeks. And we have to wait at best the fall, and I, I don't have a lot of confidence in uh, in this government's timeline. So, you know, sure, maybe by 2023 we'll have all the vaccines we need. Well, that's pretty late in coming. So, I, I, it's not just about the numbers; it's about when. and uh, And when will Canadians have access? Who's going to get them first? Um, I actually, I, I know the uh, the minister of health here in Manitoba. They've got a lot of questions, uh, and the government's not answering them. So, you know, I, I, Canadians are smart, and they they know that. These vaccines, although not the only answer, they are part of what will help us deal with COVID and and I get back to normal living. That's that's really what we all want. And and when uh, other uh, countries are getting them and, and Canada isn't, and and it's not just about the numbers. It's about when will Canadians be able to get those vaccines? And there's two doses. They have to be stored in very very cold temperatures. We've asked simple questions about. Do we have the freezers? What about some of those very simple logistic questions? And, I mean, Aaron O'Toole, our, our leader, he's uh, he was in the military, and so he's got a lot of experience around logistics. And so simple questions that the government just didn't seem to think about.
0: Uh, the uh, the Prime Minister's office saying that uh, Mulroney started this way back when by deregulating, then Harper finishing it off by allowing the sale of a drug company uh, your response to all of that?
1: Oh, that—that's just—that's not even worthy of a response. Um, the Liberals and have been in government uh, for the for the last is almost six years. Uh, this is a pandemic that hit uh, while they were in government. They've had months to prepare uh, and and respond to the pandemic. So that that's just a lame excuse, and, and um, Canadians deserve better than that.
0: All right, economic statement. Many have been waiting for that since this all started. Any surprises here for you?
1: Well, again, we we believe that there is no restart of the economy until we can get people back to work and when we can get people back to work safely and we can stop the shutdowns of small businesses which means we have to be able to have a response to COVID which goes back to the vaccines and rapid testing. So, no, we didn't see that in this economic statement. We did see more spending and uh, Conservatives absolutely believe that right now is the time to provide support to Canadians but of the just under $400 billion deficit that, the, that has now been racked up, less than half of that has actually gone to Canadians in these supports, whether it's CERB or support for small businesses. So our question is, uh, m- throwing more money out that is not getting to its so-called intended or announced places uh, is is very irresponsible. We still have uh, the second highest unemployment rate of the, the G7. We're only uh, second to Italy. We're at 8.9%. Our GDP uh, ratio has gone. It's almost at the 60% rate. It's, it's almost doubled. So, you know, this is about our future. This is about our children's future. This is about how, when we do pull out of, out of COVID, how are we going to be seen as a country that has some fiscal credibility? And so spending... To support Canadians, absolutely. But what about the other 2.4 billion dollars, uh, uh, or it's 200, for 200, 220 billion dollars that's been spent? I'm losing, I'm losing track of my zeros, Scott. There's so many of them.
0: So uh, we remember the throne speech way back when, uh, during the the two waves of this pandemic, and the the prime minister talked about building back better to to take a line from uh, the Democrats in the South. Uh, actually, used uh, a line today: uh, "No one left behind," which is right out of the NDP's playbook today. Uh, that being said, not a lot of mention of that in this uh, economic statement in the sense of of where we are going beyond this what is the next step uh, some critics have said this is about maintaining not preparing for for what's uh, ahead how do we make sure we don't get in this position next time whether it's we don't have enough PPEs we don't have enough vaccines and some may say we don't have enough energy um, how do we what do we learn from this how do we make sure this doesn't happen again
1: well, you know, I think we all know that this is a once in a hundred-year pandemic, and so I think that uh, you know we have criticized the government for not responding quicker. We were asking questions around closing the border uh, earlier on, and and certainly we think that the government should bear responsibility for that. But we also recognize everybody was was responding, and so our concern is that the government, the Fed, our our government, because other governments haven't done this, our government didn't move quickly and and i'll tell you what it's looking like to us the prime minister has done a very very good job of handing out money coming out every morning from his cottage and he's doing that now kind of looking like the nice guy pushing all the responsibility all the heavy lifting onto the provinces and he's standing back and looking kind of like pure as the driven snow uh, in terms of how the government has responded and he's gotten away with it so lessons to be learned is is this country in a pandemic or coming out of a pandemic needs certainty, certainty around things like rapid testing and vaccines, clarity, clarity around uh, some of those same issues, clarity around a fiscal framework, clarity around uh, how are we going to respond fiscally, not just racking up debt, and then competence. And the prime minister and the federal government has not provided any of those things. So Certainly, let's go back, let's learn. Uh, I know when uh, uh, we were in government, when the Conservatives were in government, we dealt with H1N1. uh, We had a stockpile. We certainly didn't send PPE to China, which is what the Liberals did. And I, I mean, that's pretty easy to say, not a good thing to do. Don't shut down the early pandemic warning system. The Liberals did that. Those are pretty simple lessons to learn. But, uh, on that note, Candace, let me interrupt you positive. there.
0: yeah, let me interrupt you there, Candace, because you, you know you're talking about these deals with China and such. yet we were we were working on something regarding a vaccination uh, with a Chinese firm. Uh, but the Chinese government, from what I understand, didn't allow this to continue. That's the, Ch- the the China deal you're talking about that that fell through in August. Now, here it is December first, the, the two year anniversary but the Huawei CFO has been held in Vancouver. Nine days later, the two Michaels uh, taken in China and obviously still in detention there, uh, being held hostage per se. So how much does that, the two Michaels in that situation there, have to do with this vaccination deal? I mean, it seems like we're, they're, they're taking hostages, yet we're, we're depending on them for a lifeline.
1: Scott, you, you raise a very good point that is actually just common sense. Why would you put all of your hopes And all of your plans for a vaccine for your country with a a regime, a communist regime that has betrayed you, is holding your citizens hostage, is uh, bullying you. I I don't, for the life of me, understand how the liberals thought that that was a good idea. Uh, And and to put all of our hopes for a vaccine in that, again, begs the question of, of their competence and their ability to make uh, smart decisions. I I, I can't answer why they would do that.
0: I got to push back a bit here, Candice, because they said they started actually procuring all of this stuff well before August. And, and, and the, the, the the Chinese situation was just another spoke in the wheel, another idea in the hopper. If it came to fruition, that's why they had so many other stuff, so many other uh, deals in the works, your thoughts.
1: Well, that's not actually what, what, the, uh, what the facts prove out. But regardless, at the end of the day, Canadians need to have access to vaccines when, uh, when other countries are having, getting vaccinated. So whatever, whatever their excuse, if, if they did such a great job, then where are these vaccines? And, uh, and they're not going to be here. They are speculating possibly next September. Not acceptable. Not acceptable at all.
0: Candice Bergen has been with us, Deputy Conservative Leader, MP from Manitoba. Candice, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well.
1: Thank you. You too. Take care.
0: You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, we certainly know what has been happening uh, at the forecourt of City Hall over the last uh, little bit. Now, Mayor Fred Eisenberger says Hamilton police are investigating after the defund police protesters left a coffin in front of his house on Monday night. Here's what the mayor had to say.
2: I believe the message in social media was, uh, you know, people are dying out there and uh, and you're not doing anything, which is, uh, you know, untrue. Have room and capacity for anyone that's living on the street right now to be in shelter space. And uh, if we find that we need more room, we're going to create more room. We are subsidizing, you know, affordable housing. We are subsidizing shelters. We are subsidizing, uh, you know, rent supports uh, in our community and, you know, to
3: the tune of tens of millions of dollars.
0: That is Mayor Fred Eisenberger on with Bill Kelly earlier this morning. Uh this follows a week-long protest the coffin being delivered to his house uh that obviously ended up with uh, officers and, and uh bylaw people taking down uh the 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 tents that were there out in front uh and of course some of their demands including reduction of the police services budget by 50 percent and having that money relocated relocated uh towards housing and shelter to uh, talk about all of this let's bring in edward john director of housing city of hamilton he's with us now edward thank you for the time i hope you're doing well good afternoon scott no i'm doing great thank you so give us a bit of a, a capsulated version of where uh, housing is in in, in Hamilton for uh, individuals. I understand there's still 6,200 households on waiting lists waiting for rent geared to income housing. Where, you, you, What is the situation like? Give us an update.
3: Sure. So, I mean, in terms of the actual system, so there's actually a... A number of different facilities, there's a number of different players, and they all kind of woven together to form Hamilton's housing and homelessness system. So, to be the three levels of government, you know, 42 social housing providers here in the city, um, we're managing around 1400, 14,000 units. You know, and, and a number of those uh, affordable housing providers, non-profit and uh, charitable sector. So, you know, in addition to that, we have you know upwards of 57 residential care facilities, 12 emergency shelters, transitional and second stage housing. You know, as well as over 200 different community partners delivering a large range of supports and housing. So, it's a, it's a full system. And here in housing services, part of my role and my team's role is to uh, do what we can to make sure, obviously, it, it's working and that we're doing our best to create and uh, uh, build additional housing for all those uh, vulnerable residents within our city.
0: So do we have the capacity that, that these people are speaking of? I mean, is there a place to go for a bed on, for example, a day like today?
3: Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we've, we've always had some challenges with regards to capacity for unsheltered individuals. You know, typically our emergency response is through our emergency shelters, since the uh, pandemic um, broke back in March, we've actually worked with uh, the funding that we received, both federally, provincially, and also allocated municipal dollars to ensure that we have capacity in the system. We've had to expand. Um, you know, I know many people are aware that we were in First Ontario. We've also had a surge shelter Um, created at uh, Cathedral Boys School uh, down on Main Street. But we've also engaged our hotel operators as well to ensure that we not only have additional capacities as a result of reduced capacities due to social distances, but we've actually enhanced um, approximately 150 to 160 additional spaces, and we continue to look and acquire more spaces as we go forward. The other piece, too, is that we've actually improved some of the abilities that we've had before, which is um, having now space for couples, whereas before in our emergency shelter system, we've not we've not had that ability.
0: So, um, so obviously protesters, tents and such have been removed. How many were actually there and where would they have gone?
3: So in, in terms of, of the response that we've had throughout the pandemic when it comes to encampment. Um, we have uh, a number of staff, we have the social navigator, and we have outreach workers um, who are specializing in engaging with those individuals who are within encampments, who are the um, unch- encampments trying to, so that they are connected to available services. So that could be drop-in shelters, it could be actual shelters themselves. Um, as well as referrals to our hotel system. So, you know, our approach is, is to really engage and try to right-match where individuals can go. We also encourage diversion. If there are other opportunities that they may be able to explore, um, we work out ways either through transportation, through assistance with moving them, or, or direct referrals then to some of those accommodations. So that, that's your approach. And I know there are you know, a number of discussions on on some of the challenges in that approach, and particularly those who are what we refer to as, as highly acute. So those are individuals with, uh, you know, significant, Significant mental health, addictions and other concurrent um, complexities that make just housing in and by itself, um, you know, uh, untenable. So part of our process is, is to recognize that we have to provide the, the supports necessary to ensure that those tenancies are successful um, and that people can actually improve their, their health and housing situation in situ
0: edward john with this director of housing for the city of hamilton uh edward do you, do you get the feeling that you are making ground or do you feel that you're losing ground especially during a pandemic
3: yeah and i think that's an important note during a pandemic because certainly the, the pervasive kind of public health comments is you know stay at home stay safe and that's you know an incredible challenge for for a number of people in our system you know we look through those that are unsheltered um those that are housed but uh you know, it's not in a stable situation and those where just home is not safe. So absolutely, it's been a challenge, but we have had made significant um, ad- advancements through the pandemic in times when, you know, trying to engage private landlords and housing providers, we've actually been able to house over 200 households through this process. So we have made advances, but never is there enough to to make those advances more important than, you know, continuing to add the funding and the focus to get people housed.
0: Uh, speaking of funding, obviously one of the, uh, one of the demands this group has made is defunding the police by, by 50%. Um, uh, is that even feasible? And, and my other question here, Edward, is that, um, I think a lot of people have sympathy and want to help, but I think when they hear such demands, they think this is unreasonable and just too extreme and, and the cause kind of gets lost in the sauce.
3: Yeah, so I, I can't speak to the process or the police budget. I mean, it's incredibly complex. You know, it's involved in the Police Services Act, uh, you know, uh, employment legislation. But when it comes to the funding of housing, you know, absolutely, we need additional funding for housing. But but funding isn't enough. We need to be very intentional with that funding. We need to make sure that we are creating, you know. Uh, environments that are complete communities that we're actually addressing. You know, many of the stigmas associated with homelessness and precarious housing. That we are ensuring that this is dealt with in a dignified, appropriate, and comprehensive way. You know, we we absolutely want to see the ability to access housing throughout the city, not just in our lower city, um, but throughout the city, and in terms and means that that makes sense to the household. So, making sure that we have a variety of forms to which we can accommodate larger households smaller households, couples, and also provide those supports that are integral for those tendencies to be successful. So funding is incredibly important for housing, but we also have to be very intentional on how that funding is allocated um, and essentially where we are locating and and promoting that housing so that we have those complete communities and we also address, first and foremost, that stigma often associated with uh, affordable housing.
0: How concerned are you that we seem to be seeing more and more of these encampments being set up?
3: So encampments aren't anything new for the city of Hamilton. We've actually experienced um, encampments each and every year. Um, you know, it certainly signifies that there is more work to be done when it comes to you know the three levels of government, how we align and how we address some of those issues. I do want to focus that it's beyond just housing. There actually has to be a larger discussion here on on some of the other systems that that people need to have uh, identified and reviewed in order to make that housing supportive um, you know particularly in the health sector you know I go back to the challenges with housing some of those individuals with the highest security I mean that that cannot be done in housing alone we actually need uh, intensive supportive case management and in some situations even additional mental health supports to make it functional so you know this is a collaborative effort I mean I think housing is an important point it's the foundation for which people are able to self-actualize and improve their situation but it cannot be done own in the absence of other funding partners and um, comprehensive solutions,
0: uh, obviously we heard uh, the reports of of the protesters leaving a coffin uh, on the mayor's uh, doorstep or close to his property uh, on uh, on Monday night. Um, that being said. Um, we we do see, as you mentioned, there's a lot of different causes at play here, a lot of different problems at play, and I do not want to diminish them in any way by saying this. But are uh, is this more than just housing or the social services that that is needed? Are you seeing other elements in here that are sort of uh, adding fuel to the fire per se? I and mean, again I don't want to take away from I don't want to take away from the problem at hand which is still a shortage of of affordable housing for people.
3: So in terms of delivering a sustainable, meaningful solution to housing, you know, it has to be recognized that it is beyond just housing advocates. And I think with that, I mean, we do need to engage our health partners. We do need to engage our communities. And, you know, when it comes to some of the significant losses that we have with our housing agenda, you know, part of of the big pitfall is that we don't have those people in desperate need of housing, those vulnerable individuals engaging in, in community discussions, because as you can imagine, their priority is fighting housing we need to liberate sure. individuals so they can be meaningful um, participants in, in community action and then that community action can come in many different forms so you know housing is that solution but it doesn't come without that comprehensive integrated approach and we absolutely need the dollars but we need that that ability to be intentional with that funding
0: it seems that this as you've mentioned this problem is everlasting it, it, this is not the first time this has been an ongoing situation now that we have been faced with obviously what was happening prior to the pandemic and and, and discussions about social issues and, and what needs to change now obviously uh, coming through a pandemic um, will this put more focus on this do you think we will learn something from this
3: I mean absolutely I think you know when When we think of some of these seismic shifts that the pandemic has raised, I mean, not since you know the end of World War II are we really going to see such a policy reform looking at some of those areas of most concern, and the housing has made individuals more vulnerable based on the predicament that they're in. So from a a public health response, you know, the housing um, is a key solution to that. And I think you're starting to see that. Certainly the municipality in terms of its funding alignment, in terms of its commitment um, beyond um, the provincial and federal funding to housing, we've we've often, you know, praised the the $50 million and a half of the roundtable, which has been focused on on being a catalyst for housing projects. Really, we want to see that extrapolated with uh, significant funding now coming hopefully through the federal and provincial um, regime so that we can uh, move forward. Part of my process is to make sure that Hamilton is, is in that situation, in that Responsibility of a coordinated ability to spend those dollars effectively. And and we have great community partners to do that, and we've been engaging them throughout the pandemic. So, you know, when it comes to that funding becoming available, we absolutely have a a, a true plan in our homelessness action plan, as well as the commitment from our partners and and all levels of government to to deal with that issue. We are here in Hamilton, you know, we we have our fair share of of challenges, but we're absolutely born with a number of solutions that, you know, are are easily uh, put into action as soon as we get that money. Much funding
0: obviously we're all suffering in some way during this pandemic but as you mentioned certainly some more than others what do you say to those that are standing back and and, and again putting up with the fatigue and everything that we have to do with going through a pandemic and then are watching protesters uh set up tents at, at city hall and, and maybe not understand the full scope of all of this what do you have to say uh to the citizens of hamilton who are watching this all go down
3: well, from a, from a housing perspective, I would certainly say you can engage yourself in the material, consult our website. I mean, housing is a universal challenge. It affects us all in various ways. And there's always always an ability to learn more about what you can do locally in order to, to address some of those housing challenges. And, and like I say, there is solutions out there. And you know, part of the problem is the stigmatization of, of housing. So for those that Um, you know, are either curious or have concerns, you know, education is always something that I would advocate in terms of of being able to to provide some of the solution as opposed to, um, you know, just standing by and watching the problem, and, and you know you can be part of the solution by engaging, um, you know, either with the, the city themselves. We have a number of programs that assist, um, or collectively looking at our website for that information. Like I say, it's, uh, it's an important uh, process to which we we recognize is, is everyone's uh, role and responsibility.
0: And what about those that are upset with the city for removing this this demonstration? Once
3: again, I would say you know look to to the the role. Um and actions of of housing services, certainly. You know, we've been advocating in terms of our role through this process, that engagement and that connection to services that are available. We absolutely believe that we can be a positive force in connecting individuals to those available services, providing shelter where it makes sense. And, you know, I go back to there are definitely challenges with um, certain acuity levels, and we are working tirelessly to address those. Um, But this is this is um, in terms of where we're going, uh, an approach to, you know, as winter comes along, to house as many people as possible in in means that uh, makes sense sense to them all
0: edward john has been with us director of housing for the city of hamilton edward thank you so much for the time much appreciated be well no problem thank you you're listening to the scott thompson show podcast on 900 chml jump into the fun we would love to hear from you uh the podcast edition of the commentary today waiting for you on facebook and twitter no it's no politics it's no vaccine no COVID 19 none of that stuff it's about my dog constantly chewing the lights off the Christmas tree. I'm not sure why that why he does that, or um, maybe we can plug him in and put the presents underneath him this year. He will glow. Uh, feel free to weigh in on that. We would love to hear from you. You can send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Phone lines are always open 905 645 3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, I just heard uh, the Prime Minister, or sorry, the Premier's daily uh, news conference. However, it was hosted by uh, Health Minister Christine Elliott this time out. And we have this noon, uh, or this information in regard to why the Premier was not there. Um, uh, this is from Global News. The premier had an unexpected but non-COVID related, non-urgent medical appointment that will prevent him from participating in today's uh, press conference and facility tour. Uh, Minister Elliott there, Solicitor General Jones, and General Hillier, who, by the way, uh, gave a really great positive uh, well, like a general would, you know, we got to stand tall. We fought on the beaches. We can do this. And, uh, yeah, a little kick in the rear end from there from the general. Probably, um, you know, a little uh, a little of that positive reinforcement that we need right now. So, uh, obviously, uh, that's where we are with the premier. Uh, unexpectedly absent today from uh, his daily media conference. Apparently a uh, non-urgent, uh, non-related, COVID-related medical appointment. And that's why his absence. All right, let's move on and and talk about uh, what is going on in regard to uh, vaccinations and economic statements and and where we are and, and how we get out of all of this mess uh, while we're in the height of a pandemic. Let's bring in Tim Powers. Of course, you know him, you love him. Uh, Tim Powers is uh, Vice Chairman of Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data, and is with us now. Tim, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well.
2: Are you drinking at home today or what, Scott? Are you just blaming the dog for nibbling on the lights? Were you nibbling on the lights <laughs> what while is, you were like, nibbling or what?
0: You know, my first uh, my first response was like, the kids are, are, you know, like they're 13 and 18, so I don't think they're doing this anymore. But, yes, <laughs> it was it was fascinating to see. We, we started to notice the bottom of the tree started to go out. And then a little bit farther, then a little bit farther. What the heck's going on here? And then I noticed the lights had literally been chewed. And you know how you push them in and you pull them out, the little wee one? He literally pulls them out of the sockets, and then he chews them. And all this left on the ground is, like, chewed up plastic and glass. I don't get it. And, you know, here's let's another thing, Tim. It's
2: who does the same
0: thing. It's entertainment. I mean, they got to get through COVID, too, right? I guess that's it. They're bored with having us around so much. But you never catch him doing it. That's the thing I don't understand. He's, like, doing this behind our back. I don't get it. Anyway. Uh, at least my son says, uh, stooping and scooping out the backyard. You can do it late at night because now you can see it. Everything's glowing. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> all right your thoughts on where we are in regard to vaccination we remember what happened at the end of last week when the prime minister was questioned about everybody getting it ahead of us and him saying we don't make them anymore therefore we have to rely on everybody else and and we're behind them how has that story transpired over the weekend we're certainly hearing uh from drug companies come out and say no you know you're not at the back of the line you're at the front of the line and, and don't worry blah, blah blah but we still haven't gotten any any date or anything and' Interestingly enough, the uh, uh, the premier announcing that uh, you know they've got this strategic plan in place long before the vac- vaccinations even arrive. So where where are we with this the the weekend after, so to speak?
2: Well, I guess you have to look at all the information and figure out the common themes within it. So the common themes seem to be that yes, we'll get some drugs. Uh, in the first quarter of 2021, 20, uh, that that seems everybody seems to be in agreement on that. Now, whether that's January 1st or March 31st, there doesn't seem to be a common uh theme around all of that. Moderna says and the, the Moderna executive uh, was the first person to come out that no, no, could could be early in the first quarter. Uh, others still be to be determined um yesterday with their economic statement. The opposition were uh hammering the government for more details still don't have them uh or the government's paying a the Bitcoin. They may have some more information and they're waiting to share it depending on what it it actually says, but if you're at home in Hamilton today or here in here in Ottawa, you don't know when you can make an appointment to get a shot, uh, and you don't know if that uh, appointment will come in the first quarter, or as the Prime Minister himself said, Scott, or you're one of the people, because you're healthy, hopefully, who doesn't need it and won't get it until September
0: uh can justin trudeau pull a rabbit out of his hat here uh pull a favor anything uh you know gee whiz it's canada everybody loves us come on can somebody give us give us a few extra cases of this thing is is there any way in between now and christmas he can pull a rabbit out of his hat
2: they seem to be setting the bar to say that they can't. Uh, I, I think their rabbit will be early January. I think they're they're looking for that. I think they're conditioning the audience to think later in the first quarter. I mean, look, they're politicians, after all, and Justin Trudeau knows they have some vulnerability, though not evident in polls. There's is an interesting poll out today, as you yeah. know, because Canadians are okay with waiting. Uh, but that's now. Nobody has vaccine now. Does that change in January? We'll see. But, but I think, you know, and I hope, uh, that they are playing a little bit of politics, uh, and that we will see, uh, vaccines start to get into the arms of people, uh, who need them in January.
0: So could they at this point? Obviously, we are a step behind simply because of, of where we are with production and such. Uh, so uh, that being well, we said, could we
2: have syringes, Scott? A, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But <laughs> the one thing that the government
0: claims we do have,
2: I should say, are we have the needles, we have the swabs, we have all the other parts that we're all familiar with that you need uh, when, uh, when when uh, when you're going to get a shot. So. Um, uh, And and they have brought in, as Ontario's brought in Rick Hillier, Canada's brought in Denny Fortin, who's also an accomplished military leader, to get all this up and running. So the rest of the ecosystem or the infrastructure is in place. It's just the stuff to put in your arm
0: uh again i think that's like uh, that's like having way too much at the finish line and not having any at the start i, I think that's what is going to have a pro- is going to be a problem for canadians yep. as you said as we're standing by and we don't seem to be getting it as fast as everybody else so do you think there's a good chance they un- are under promising and will over deliver yeah I, I think so
2: i mean particularly look if trudeau is, is that just canadian ahead? optimism uh well there's a lot of established political practice around that right and trudeau's learned that i mean look if they are interested in going to the polls in the spring with a budget then one of their key setup pieces now has got to be this it's got to be vaccinations uh so i think they they perhaps uh are hoping and perhaps have a mechanism whereby you know what in january and february in early March, before that budget comes, uh, a good portion of the Canadian public will have been vaccinated. I, I think that's what they're playing for, and they're deliberately being uh, as um, obtuse as they can right now. And we'll take the front-end heat for the back-end win.
0: Uh, we remember how much this prime minister talks about transparency and how this was all going to change when and, and the government was going to be more transparent under him. Uh, we remember last week when asked about the U.S. situation and in, in the rest of Europe and why they were getting it ahead of everyone else. He very nonchalantly said, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, we, we all know this. We don't make them anymore. We're going to be behind everybody else as if we all kind of knew that. Uh, I also noticed uh, over the weekend it, you, you hear a lot of chatter about safety. It's like you know, meaning this isn't an issue about getting it. We're not. We, we want to make sure that it's absolutely safe before we get it. Which to me is a, again just smoke and mirrors because health yeah, Canada has is. said has said already this will be approved at roughly the same time as the FDA does in the U.S. Because they're all getting their information at roughly the same time. So by saying that you know we you know what's really important here is that it's. Safe. Well, that's a given here. It won't be released anywhere until it is safe, and that includes uh, Canada. So what does that say about the transparency in all of this? When, again, once again, Canadians are in limbo, and and we don't really have an idea what's going on.
2: Well, it's not transparent. It's political communications they're engaged in, right? So there is really no clear transparency. They will... Uh, say, as you suggest, they'll, they'll give you bits and pieces of it, but they won't give you the full picture. I mean, the safety argument is a bogus one, uh, because for the reasons you stated, it's got to get approved by Health Canada. Uh, if it gets approved by the FDA and, and, and all these other credible agencies, it'll get approved by Canada. They're not going to put some radioactive, uh, type of drug into people's arms. It's going to cause them more harm than good. And that gets into all the, the vac, anti-vax stuff. But the other thing that was sort of comical last week, and it's carried over a little bit. Well, it's Stephen Harper's fault, you know. You had Dominic LeBlanc, uh, the Intergovernmental Affairs Minister, saying, well, you gotta, got to blame Harper here. You know, he slowed down. He killed production in Canada. And as has been... Dated over the past number of days, guess what? It all changed under Chrétien. And many governments have played a role in, in changing what types of drugs are manufactured in Canada and how production has worked. So I uh, thought that was a little bit desperate. I mean, the funny part about that, which uh, all your listeners probably don't know, is Dominic LeBlanc was a staffer and just and, uh, for Jean Chrétien all those years ago when those changes were being made to uh, generics and, and the distribution of drugs in Canada.
0: Getting back to transparency, I mean, clearly they must have realized there was going to be a gap here that sooner or later the, the spaghetti would hit the fan to mix my metaphors here. Uh, didn't they see this coming? I guess they did, but the way they're trying to, you know, paper over
2: that is—and you've heard this probably uh, a thousand times uh, since the controversy kind of blew up last week—is, oh, but well, we've we have the highest per capita uh, in of any G seven of, of drug drug purchase of of any G seven nation. Uh, we've got more doses coming to us and coming to Canadians than anybody else in the world, and and that's smart. That's how we got around this. We've procured it. And we're going to have it. And maybe they're right. But again, I think people are going to start to get edgy when uh, within two weeks they see pictures of Brits likely getting shots in their arms and Americans as well. Uh, They may be fine to wait now. But if the rest of the world is way ahead of us by January in terms of, of, of looking after the citizens, then the Trudeau government of we've got lots of vaccine starts to ring a little hollow if that vaccine is not going into your arm.
0: Uh, it's been uh, two years uh, ago today that the Huawei CFO was uh, held in Vancouver. Uh, wow. Wow. Nine days. Nine days later, the two Michaels obviously uh, apprehended. So that anniversary is coming up uh, in just nine day- days. Uh, We're certainly hear the Conservatives talking about a deal that they had with a Chinese manufacturer of uh, vaccination Uh, the conservatives accusing the liberals of spending too much time on that and at the end of the day the chinese government said no you're not doing that and and pulled the offer back is there any validity to any of that and and why is canada getting involved in these deals with china when we've got a scenario with the two michaels
2: it's like we're depending on
0: them to save us
2: well yeah i mean remember this was a not to defend the government but this is the problem you know back to the production issue if you remember the first production issue we encountered during the pandemic is we don't produce any real significant amounts yeah. of, of ppe in canada and we have a ton of agreements and business agreements with chinese distributors and canadian companies of have, have, have agreements with chinese distributors that and manufacturers that produce ppe so it's not surprising that they uh, would be looking again at uh, this for the distribution of the vaccine. So there probably is some some truth to it, but they should have known that the the politics were uh, were were heating up to a large degree. A lot of the, the people who had bought PPE are were Canadian businesses that have been doing business with china for years and years and all of this and had pretty good supply chains and there wasn't that much blowback on on all of that but on new agreements like the one they were looking to strike there because i believe it was new it's not surprising that it was as failed and contentious
0: when would they have known that there was going to be a gap when would they know that there's going to be a pr crisis for them simply because The illusion, well, the fact is, is that other parts of the world, including places like Brazil and Mexico, will be getting this before Canadians do. Why would they have not assembled some sort of better messaging to head this off at the pass?
2: well they would have known early on that canada didn't have significant production capacity um, you'll remember i think we talked about it last week there's a federal research facility in mm-hmm. montreal and i think part of the, that chinese deal would have played itself out there where the prime minister spoke about this how they were going to be the manufacturing of 250 or 225,000 Uh, Doses there that would have happened by November that that didn't happen. But they uh, from day one, they would have known that Canada's capacity to produce vaccine was largely beholden on others because that capacity didn't just disappear on in the middle of March when this hit the country with vigor.
0: Uh, we have not even talked about the economic statement yet, and we are already out of time. But just uh, in the last minute or so, Blame that's your left dog. your thought your dog's fault, clearly. <laughs> that's right. You are inquiring about the lights and the dog. That's what it was, yep. Tim. Uh, your thoughts on what we heard yesterday, and and what this means moving forward for Canadians?
2: Yeah. The very quick bit on that is: don't get distracted by the big numbers. It's the small numbers. So we've heard about the deficit. Gary at 381 and we've heard about the $100 billion in stimulus, probably necessary but won't happen over three years. The thing I find fascinating in there are the small numbers. So the three numbers I would look at, the $400 tax credit for working at home, that's going to go into people's pockets. They're going to like that. The extension or the top-up of the um, child, Canada Child Care Benefit for those in mm-hmm. need with kids under six going to 1200 and the minimum, and the wage subsidy going up again from uh, 65% of government support to 75%. Strangely, Scott, starting on December 20th and running until March 13th. So that covers Christmas all the way through to the March break. Lots of people will be happy if their employers avail of it and take them back to work. Direct impacts for people, uh, that some good politics potentially in there if they can sell it.
0: So, obviously, issues with the vaccination, but financially, uh, will people be happy with this? You know, obviously, we're being helped, but also debt. Is this a positive positive statement for us?
2: Well, look at what Freeland said yesterday, right? Uh, It's a COVID recession. So what she's saying there is, uh, yeah, we maybe didn't manage things super well beforehand, but blame all this on COVID, which many people probably will because, you know, COVID's changed the world. Uh, and then she says, money doesn't matter, we're spending. And she goes on to tell you that eight of every 10 federal dollars is going to COVID. So they're going to push, whether Canadians accept it or not, that they, as they've done all along, we were there for you, we supported you, uh, we're making a real difference for you, to hell with the rest of it now, we've got guardrails, so we're not going to put you in the ditch. Even though we don't have an anchor at the moment and she's hoping that the calculation most voters will make is they stood with me, they helped me out, they put money in my pocket, they kept me safe and strong or as strong as I could be during, uh, during COVID and maybe I should reward them for that. And lo and behold, Scott, if I get a shot in my arm by the time that spring budget comes around, maybe these guys aren't so bad. I think that's their political calculation simplified.
0: Tim Powers, Vice Chairman of Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data. Tim, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Take care, my friend. Bye. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast, or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.